You're listening to the Emo Brown, the saddest Mexican podcast. back it's been a minute it's been raining so i haven't been able to come outside and hang out with peeps in the treehouse because the treehouse is outdoors ladies and gentlemen i'm here with somebody i've been wanting to connect with and talk to for a little bit one because i enjoy the history of our country i enjoy the military aspect of where we are and how we get to the places we get to I went to school. I didn't go to school with this guy, but he has been in a parallel life with me for a minute since he was in journalism with City Beat as it relates to beer and, uh, you know, reviews and raves and misses and do's and don'ts. Andrew Dyer. Hey, bro. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, man, this treehouse is rad. <laughs> uh, this is very cool. I'm happy to be invited and, and to chat. Bro, it, I, we were just talking a little bit before we even got started about just like what your job entails, what kind of what gets you into it. And for me, man, I find it interesting. If I knew how to write and compose thoughts and, and, and just like report on what I'm watching, I would totally be in your field. I, I love, I just love reading what you write. I stay really abreast of what's going on. And, and you seem to have like, not, not necessarily inside knowledge, but you have a grasp of since you, your background is in, in military. You were in the United States Navy. Andrew, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so, well, I originally from uh, South Texas. I grew up, like, in San Antonio and San Angelo. Um, joined the Navy when I was, oh, gosh, I was 22 when I joined. Uh, spent 10 years, um, including time, you know, stationed overseas in Japan and um, uh, eventually landing in San Diego uh, in 2009 is when I got here. And I uh, got out of the Navy in 2012, but uh, I've, n- I've never left. So um, It's a hard place to leave, man. Once you kind of set re- anchor down here, it's really hard to like pick up and go anywhere else. It's really tough. And, and when I got out of, out of the Navy, um, it was kind of like, oh, crap, I got to get a job that pays me enough to stay here. That was my only goal. I didn't really care what I, what I did. I just wanted to be able to keep paying the rent. At what age did you leave Texas? I was 22. Okay, so you kind of had an experience with the uh, cost of living and a lifestyle over there. How does it relate legitimately? Because I always hear like, oh, it's so expensive to live in San Diego. It's so this, it's so that, California. Um, I've always lived here. Like, I mean, so what we pay is what I've been used to. I'm jaded to the cost of living because that's what it's, it's always been for me. So you coming down here, as it's, uh, well, whenever you came to San Diego, how was that? Was that like a culture shock, a financial shock? Well... Uh, my experience, uh, at least where I was living uh, before I joined the Navy, you know, I uh, I lived in um, outside this tiny town called Natalia, Texas. It's in Medina County, just south of, of San Antonio, and it's a very high poverty area. Um, you know, I was living in a, a, a tiny two-bedroom trailer that was probably 30 years old at that point. So um, I wasn't coming from the best, like, uh, socioeconomic position uh when I jumped into the military. So uh, cost of living was very low for me because I, I lived at the kind of the, 
you know, I, I was not in the best uh, circumstances, but I, I feel like it's, it's just relative, you know, um, there's a lot of things about Texas specifically and about uh, life there that, okay, yeah, there's no state income tax, but your property taxes are pretty high. Um, there's, you know, simple things, you know, in California, you know, a lot of our neighborhoods have sidewalks where a lot of the places I lived, like there's no sidewalks. You, you walk on the street. Infrastructure is not where, it, where it's at. walk in people's yards. And, and it's just, um, you know, here we have a lot of master plan communities. Um, that wasn't the case where I, uh, grew up. So, you know, it, it is different. Um, you know, you have a, a, a smaller government in the state of Texas, but at the same time, that gives kind of companies a lot of leeway in that deregulated environment to take advantage of, of consumers, and it's it's a it's a trade-off, really, like anything. Um, not saying that California is perfect or that it's not expensive. We're but, far from it. <laughs> but yeah, um, I feel like um, if you want to be here, you know, and you accept the trade-off, you make it work. You live in a smaller place. You you know you you make it work. If you want to live in a big McMansion, then I don't know. You can move to Temecula or move to. And it's funny because I have friends that live in other parts of Southern California, and they'd refer to their property as acres. They they, they speak to like property estimates as an acreage, whereas here, man, it's like, oh yeah, I have a fifteen hundred square foot pad, or I have a two thousand square foot pad, and it's like, damn, it, it, it's a legitimate like shock to the whoa, you live on an acre, like that's a lot of space. Like, what do you do with all that space? Um, you being from Texas. You telling us about your upbringing was was the military uh, like a an escape for you like a, a way to like dip out of Texas and start afresh, start anew, try something different? Was it like your goal after high school? Was it the the bridge from college? Uh, well, it was definitely an escape hatch for me. Um, I was initially I was going to join right out of high school, and I had gotten a good score on the ASVAB, but. Uh, you know, I had like typical, like 18 year old BS, you know, I had a girlfriend and she I don't want to leave her. She wasn't going to graduate yet. And I don't want to stick around. So I like, I just, I just smoked a bunch of weed before I went to the physical and, and then surprise, surprise, I failed the drug test. Uh, so there, I'm ignorant to this shit. There's a, there was a drug test to enroll into the military. I'm assuming then. Oh yeah. Oh, All yeah. right, cool. So then, then a couple years later, um, it turns out that working at a grocery store and not going to college is not like a long-term plan. So by the time I was 21, uh, you know, it was clear that what I was doing wasn't working. Um, and you know, I got a waiver for the, for the drug testing. So that's all <laughs> paperwork was all good. And I, I went, I was able to go back in, uh, right after September 11th, I went and, and enlisted. Quite an influx of applicants probably around that date, man. I remember September 11th, um, 1997, I graduated from high school. So the year 2000 is when it went, 2001, correct, is when it went down. A bunch of my friends enlisted into the Marines, you know? And for a, for a quick second, like my best friend and myself were like, dude, like what? And yeah, that legitimately a quick second because we, we passed on that. But it seems like that seemed to be what motivated a lot of people in, in my age group to enlist and, and, and join the military. Did that play a big role with you? You know, I think I, 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 at the time, you know, I had a sense of like history, like I had a sense of the, the moment, right? Like I knew that this was going to be something that shaped 
the immediate and medium term future of the whole country. And I didn't know what it would be, but I wanted to be a part of it. And, um, you know, the only way that I could, you know, be part of history, you know, this is the way a jump at first things is, yeah. is to en- enlist. And certainly there was a lot of people joining at the time, you know, there were like, you had to wait to go to boot camp. Um, I went, that's crazy. I went and signed up. It was probably two weeks after nine 11. I signed up and, uh, the earliest they could get me into boot camp was like, uh, right before Christmas. So I had to wait a couple months to ship out. But, um, yeah, it was, it, it was really a defining moment. I think, especially for people our age, I think, I, I think we're the same. Yeah, age I'm 41 as am I. So, nice. um, you know, it was a defining thing for, for our generation, um, at that time. So then now you're in the military, my man. At what point does journalism, being a reporter, become a goal for you? Is that something that you've always, like, have you always written about? Have you always, like, been, you know, digging through things to kind of discover the truth? Like, what what drew you to getting involved in journalism? Well, I always follow the news, and I like to read, um, you know, like a lot of young guys. This is a very cliched, like, white guy thing, but I got into, like, Hunter S. Thompson and... Mm started reading all of his stuff and uh you know i tried i tried journaling at some point and that lasted about a week because i mean coming home to your barracks room and writing in a notebook is not like <laughs> it's hard to keep up don't uh, clown on it too much because i legitimately just started journaling bro <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those 40 plus things to do i guess right but at the time uh-huh. right, you know i was 22 I was interested in a lot of things at the same time. And so do you wish you would have kept that going? It'd be not, it, right? it would be great to have my notes mm. from back then. Right. Because, you know, I was going through all of the angsty, like angsty stuff. You know, I was, you know, listening, uh, you know, listening to a lot of, uh, you know, um, orange rhyming dictionary and, and listening to, <laughs> to like Sony day real estate and just feeling emo as fuck, I was man. Just going, I was going through <laughs> it, you know, <laughs> Pedro the lion. (laughs) (laughs) I was going through it and, uh, you know, it'd be cool to look back, uh, especially whenever I actually got out of like the Navy schools and started going to the ships and stuff. It'd be nice to to have some sort of thing about thumb through the, the, the chapters of your life. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be cool to have that. Right. And like, I don't even have pictures for the most part because, you know, at that time we switched to digital and I had a hard drive and the hard drive went bad. So like, there's like this, just huge gaps of like that whole like part of my life that are just kind of gone. Ugh. That's actually pretty common. Uh, every now and then wifey and I go through things and I'll find an old camera or I'll find an old like video camera. And I started looking at it. I was like, holy crap. This is a whole time of our lives that if I didn't find this, it would have just disappeared. Right. Like, I don't have a photo album. Like, who has photo albums? I don't know. I don't have. We have an old ass photo album. It's, it's funny. It's like a photo album of like when when we first met and all of these pictures about 40 pounds ago, bro. <laughs> yeah. We bought a, we bought a baby book when our son was born is 2008. And like the first page is all filled out. And then the rest of it is like totally blank. Like, we're, we're, we're from an interesting generation. If you really, if you really think about it, we transitioned from a lot of things. We went from Polaroids to digital. You know, we, we went from like fuck, DVDs. We went from have, having stacks of VHS to now you have DVDs, you know, like we went from dial up to Wi-Fi. There's just a lot of transition. It makes me appreciate a lot of things more. You know, I'm, I'm very like, 
slow to complain about shit. I don't I don't like to like raise a red flag on things like I don't like really to complain or whine. I'm very appreciative of what we have because I feel like we from the I was born in 1979. So from 1979 to 2021, holy shit, man. You know, then I think back to my grandma, my abuelita, she's 93. I'm like, God damn, she was around before planes were, dude. You know, like, like she's around that era when that method of transportation took off, you know, pardon the pun, but legit. Um, I want to know about journalism, bro. It's always been something that I very, very interested in. I can't do it. So I said, next thing I'm bringing Dyer in, Andrew Dyer, and make sure he can tell me exactly what it takes to be a journalist and what the hell is going on in our country right now and how does that affect your job as a journalism yeah uh, you know it's an absolutely insane time uh, in this field uh, you have a lot of factors uh, affecting um the state of the industry right like you have all the economic stuff you know contraction of of newspapers um the explosion of like online media i mean this is 10 15 years ago but all of these things happen and then you have like this whole like shadow uh, journalism world where you have, you know, basically unethical actors who, um, you know, who pump out very highly partisan uh, news and um, it has an agenda behind it. Right. A real agenda driven. And I get emails from people that say that our reporting at the UT is agenda driven. Um, I can see that, you know, and I, I, you know, I try as we might not to have an agenda um, there are some topics when you report fairly and honestly on them, if you are on another side of that topic, you're going to see that as an agenda because it doesn't fit with your narrative it goes it, against the grain from what you're trying to convey. Exactly. So it's, it, you know, there's a lot of conversations like internal conversations about like, how do we reach people? How do we reach people that think we're just fake news or think we're this or that? And, uh, you know, I don't have an answer to that, but it's a real issue and, and you see that um, it's most apparent when you look at what happened at the Capitol on January 6th, where you have an army of people completely operating under a kind of a shared delusion of, of QAnon and the stolen election and all of this stuff, which is, has no grounding in fact, um, you know, that, and that, and once again, that is not a partisan position to say that the stolen election has no grounding in fact, it, it just has no grounding. In fact, um, you know, it, it was, it, you know, it went to court. There was a lot of, like, there's no, you're not painting a picture from one side. This is legitimately been, yeah. But that to, to, to these people that didn't matter nope. because they've been consuming a fire hose of, of crap for years and years and years that has primed them to, to accept, uh, this idea that there's, you know, this QAnon, there's this satanic cabal of baby eating elites in the Democratic mm-hmm. Party, and they are pedophiles. Steal and- the election from Donald Trump, like, like this is not. <laughs> I mean, it's not normal. It's not. It's not a, a healthy mindset. And, and you look at like, what if I saw the world that way? And, and, and it's hard to, you know, you try to empathize with with these people, you know. Um, but this is the the end effect of of that disinformation from all kinds of different news sources that have been feeding and prodding and poking this fire, and you saw it explode uh, on January sixth. So, um, the best that we can do as you know ethical, you know responsible journalists is to just keep like telling the truth, like a- a- as best we can, and and 
we don't always get it right. And when we do get it wrong, you know, we're quick to um, amend it, amend it, correct it, uh, it, whatever that might take. Um, You know, some places are better than others at, at doing that. But, you know, I don't know any reporter or journalist who is intentionally trying to deceive their, their readers. Like that's just not part of the, the mindset. You're always trying to tell the truth, to use accurate facts and tell an accurate version of the story. And, um, you know, sometimes that's tough, but even when people do make mistakes, like, you know, those mistakes normally come like from that, that goal. What, what is your current role at the San Diego Union Tribune? I, I, I'm the military reporter. Um, I'm on the watchdog and accountability team, which is kind of like the investigative uh, team on the paper. So I do um, sometimes venture into other other beats. I do uh, cover uh, politics a little bit um, when I'm asked to do that. Um, I've uh, covered um, extremism in, in San Diego County, um, which is has been controversial <laughs> uh, to say the least, but uh my main job is is to cover the military. I want to get into that, but before we get into that, I wanted to find out, does this role exist outside of San Diego? I mean, being that San Diego is so military-centric and, you know, we are a hub for a lot of our servicemen and service people here in San Diego, is this a role that at the, I don't know, the Arizona Republic, would this be a, a job opening that you could acquire there as a journalist? It's, it's possible. I'm not sh- sure specifically about, like, Daisy Republic, but um, other newspapers in military towns will mm-hmm. have a, a military beat reporter. Um, often, uh, certainly the national outlets have military reporters. Um, you know, Washington Post, New York Times. Um, uh, a lot of papers have uh, Pentagon bureaus. So military reporting—it's a fairly small community. Um, much of it, of course, is based in Washington D.C. in the Pentagon press corps. But there are a handful of us out here um, in the. Uh, in the sticks, uh, doing the, the work uh, kind of on the ground for our military communities. Is it a controversial position to be in here in San Diego? Not normally. I, I think, um, you know, this, this, um, market, right. It, it's pretty savvy when it comes to the military, especially the, the Marines and the Navy. Um, so, uh, covering these institutions, um, you have a pretty informed readership. So, um, people kind of get it. So, yeah. um, the biggest controversies I've run into covering the military are, um, if you get, uh, a rank wrong or like you call somebody, like, Hey buddy, like, I'm a captain, not a, <laughs> like that's, you know, they have a ranger tab, but they're not special forces. Like, you know, it's little things like, do that. you get called on that often? No, not, <laughs> not really. I, I, I learned my lesson to make sure that I'm, I'm doing it correctly. Um, and then any army stuff, I, any army or air force stuff, I'm not as familiar with, you know, I, I triple check all that stuff. Being from the Navy, I think you'd purposely shit on them, but all right. Okay. Way to be a, <laughs> tell me a little bit about the extremism that you cover in San Diego. I mean, lately being like during the pandemic, it, it came to a boil here in San Diego, you know, um, prior to that, I'm not too sure. I, I feel like a lot of these things were subterranean, not really, things that were out in the open that people knew about. But during the pandemic, a lot of things happened. A lot of things changed. A lot of, a lot of topics and, and events were exposed. Um, covering extremism now, as it relates to before, what's, what's the deal there? Well, you, you brought something up that's really interesting. Um, these elements were always here, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, however, there's been a lot of kind of study um, on extremism and kind of the best practices to report on this stuff. And this is why it's so frustrating when um, extremist elements are kind of thrust into the mainstream. You have a lot of reporters who maybe don't bring a necessary level of caution in how they report on extremists and, and extremist groups. So um, normally the best practice is to kind of ignore them, right? Like, For sure. Like if Don't shed light on them. <laughs> right. If there are five Klansmen living in a certain neighborhood and they're doing whatever they do, um, you know, you don't want to ex- spread that ideology to a wider audience. You're only doing them a favor. Right? Yeah, you don't like, want to give them a platform. Exactly, right? Um, however, whenever you have a resurgent Black Lives Matter movement um, that ha- is taking place in the midst of like these lockdowns, you have a lot of factors contributing to you know some communities um, rising up to oppose that movement, um, which includes a lot of these extremist elements. So now you have kind of a a a momentary mainstreaming of extremist ideology. So say I'm a uh, I'm a resident of La Mesa. Maybe I'm an apolitical person. However, I didn't like what happened um, during the the riot. You know, I didn't like seeing the destruction and the looting. So next time there's a big protest, I want to be one of these people who goes and stands in front of a business to protect my my cousin's business or whatever. Right? There, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right? Um, however, in order to organize and do that. I might have to join a Facebook group yeah. that has people in there who are saying, yes, we need to do this, but oh, by the way, Antifa is coming in on buses. Um, you know, that's a common thing that, that doesn't happen, but it's, it's uh, kind of one of those urban legends. Um, so now me, a normal a political person who just wanted to go and do like community service type stuff. You got mixed up. Now I'm hearing all of this extremist viewpoints, right? And maybe I don't know that this person behind this Facebook account is a known white nationalist. Mm. I don't know that he's a member of a white supremacist biker gang. All I know is that he's standing next to me guarding this business and, oh, now he's whatever they're. So you have a a risk there, right? Of, of, of kind of spreading this, this, this ideology. So, um, you know, I was a member of the Facebook group Defendies County, um, that formed, right after that La Mesa riot. And um, initially I just joined the group. Uh, I wrote an early story about it. Like, Oh, here's a group that's responding to the threat of a protest. Um, And I just kind of, I never commented, um, but I was there. I was, I was reading their conversations um, and I was expanding the conversation on Facebook, which is normally a mistake, but for my purposes, it had to be done. Um, And I just started, Kind of taking notes, taking screenshots of. So you went in with a reporter mentality. You just kind of observing at first, and then you. (laughs) It was obvious you saw a a legitimate change in in the narrative that probably was different from when they initiated that group to what it is now. Because now, if you say defending East County, it 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 comes up with a lot of you know a lot of opinion, a lot of things that 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 roll with with that group. I think it's since been ousted from Facebook, and it probably has a different platform Mm -hmm. from which it works on. Right, but. Damn, how many people do you think like you were in that kind of group? People like you, meaning people who were just legitimately like, hey, you know what? What's going on in this group? And then naively keep going in that group and join these people. 
you know, it, it, it must have been a lot. At, at their peak, they had, I think, 22,000 people. Um, and you, you kind of touched on this. The, the, the group has been completely deplatformed. They've been kicked off of Facebook and they've been kicked off of Instagram. Thoughts um, on that, for better, for worse? What do you feel? Uh, deplatforming works. Okay. Um, I mean, that's not my feeling. Um, you know, I do talk to extremism experts um, when I do this reporting, and this is what they tell me over and over again that um, deplatforming extremists from mainstream social media like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, even if they go to, to Parler or they go to Telegram or they go to wherever, right? They are, most of their audience is not going to go with them to that. Only the most hardcore people. The hardcore people will go. That's where you pretty much like, right. am I in or am I out? Am so, I really following this guy or am I not going to follow this guy? So it used to be that um, the people in Defendi's County could post a video of Proud Boys beating up Black Lives Matter protesters and potentially thousands of people would see that video. Now, if they want to share that video, it's a few hundred people that see it. Um, which, you know, does have this effect, you know, a de-radicalizing effect on those people who are swayable that might have been in that community. I mean, this is hypothetical. I don't have any specific, you know, nobody has, I don't have any specific information about people in that group, but um, the, the, the situation was certainly there for them. Um, and, and that's kind of the whole point whenever um, I did the, the, my August story about Defendies County, kind of talking about the content in the group a lot of people who were members of that group probably never saw that stuff because the way Facebook works and its algorithm, you know, if I don't interact with a group, if I don't ever comment and I don't ever like anything, the algorithm is going to stop showing me content from that group in my newsfeed. You know, I'm a member of um, the alien abduction survivors group. But I never see their posts because I don't interact in that group. Better get involved there, Dyer. What's going on with I'm you, bud? I'm also not an alien abduction survivor, but just, <laughs> I use that as an example. Like, you can be a member of a group and have no idea what's going on in the group because you just don't interact with it. And I, I would I would suspect that's the case for, for And I'm going to suspect that since your background is in extremism, also in, in military, but as it is in extremism, you probably have to join a few of these groups that are actual extremists and just kind of like hide in the shadows and and observe and watch and read and just kind of keep your finger on, on the pulse of where these guys are going and what they're doing. You know, it's, 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 it's not, you know, it would be, if I could have, you know, there's some ethical issues, right? Where as a reporter, you don't want to go into a space misrepresenting who you are. So, um, whenever, uh, possible, um, you know, in my Facebook account, my personal profile, it does say what my job is. And I will try to join groups with my uh, account. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm not let in, well, then um, I have a network of sources that I'll go to who who might be in these <laughs> Who are already in there. <laughs> um, and, and they can send me things that they're seeing. If, if they, and, if, and they reach out to me like, I don't even have to ask. Like, I'll get, so people will send me screenshots and they'll send me stuff of what they see. But um, it, it's not as as straightforward as as like um, covertly joining groups. There's some ethical questions with with doing that. Um, but certainly, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, one I I did follow one person on Instagram recently, and after I followed them, all of a sudden posts started disappearing from their Instagram account, and I was like, oh man, I blew it. I <laughs> the journalistic effect. I should not have followed this person because I let them know I was looking at them. But, you know. That's Do you encounter that a lot? Usually, 
if I reach out to somebody with questions for a story I'm working on based on their social media activity, I've already got the goods on them. Yeah. I don't reach out to a, the subject of a story without screenshotting and downloading Doing your due diligence. everything that I can, because the first thing they're going to do before they call me back is go and delete all that stuff. Yeah. At first they're going to vet you. Then they're going to see what's going on here. What do I got on here that could potentially be used against me? Mm -hmm. Social media guys, careful what you put on there, right. man. And even if they don't get back to me, Oh, all of a sudden, all your stuff is private or deleted. Obviously, you got my yeah. <laughs> you must have got my message because now all the Proud Boy stuff is gone. But okay. did the Defendies County and the Proud Boy that that must be the most controversial um, topic and project you worked on throughout the pandemic? I'm going to assume because it comes with a lot of backlash, man. It comes. Some of these guys are 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 super hardcore, man, and that's an understatement. It just seems it, it seems like a a, a very scary uh pool to wade in you know and that's true um these some of the members of these groups you know have been involved in you know murder plots you know there's you know these white nationalist groups um that have committed crimes obviously we've seen them commit violence um however you know part of part of this job is is you know you 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 report the facts without fear or favor, right? So um, it, it's important. Like, it's important stuff for the community. The community needs to know that, um, you know, for their own safety. This is what's happening. That, that this person standing across from you at the Black Lives Matter march is, is not just some, you know, person waving an American flag. This is a person who is a member of an SPLC-designated hate group. Like, you know, people in the community should be aware SPLC. of SPLC. What's uh, that acronym The for? Southern Poverty Law Center. Oh. They, they track uh, extremism and hate groups in the U.S. And in that group, there's probably a few of them. Jesus Lord. <sighs> have, yeah. you, have you gotten a lot of backlash? Have you gotten a lot of hate mail? Have you gotten a lot of like, hey, man, stop what you're doing. Focus your attention on something else. You know, you know most of the reaction I get, if it, most of it's been actually positive. Okay, um, cool. A lot of, I do get emails and feedback from people who thank me for, because the, the, they see this kind of reporting as like a, a service to the community, right? Um, so most of the reaction I've, I've received has been positive and, and encouraging. Um, other people, however, are kind of defensive about it. Like, you know, you're painting East County as being racist. Mm -hmm. You know, I can group, see that. You know, look at the, look at the, look at the pictures from the riot. Like, how could you support this? Like. I'm, I'm not supporting that. I'm not supporting that at all. But the group that that is supposedly counter to this, you know, it comes with all these other elements, um, you know. And then then there are the occasional like like threats, right? Like so, you know. But you know, if I get a death threat, then I just uh, you know I tell my editor, you know, we have a, a safety. You know, we're part of the uh, LA Times, right? So. You know, I have a conversation with their like security, you know, officer, and I let them in. I let them worry. About if it. I get that. a death threat, Jesus Christ! So you've had death threats? That's crazy. Well, it, it's you know, it, I don't take them very. I don't take it very not serious. Well, I mean, I shouldn't. I probably shouldn't say that because you know, it, it could be. It could be serious, right? But um, it's just it, it kind of comes with the territory, right? If you're gonna you know, write about uh, extremism, then um, extremists aren't going to like you. I mean, it doesn't help that the former administration 
painted you guys as the fucking enemy. You know, painted the 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 reporters, the journalists as like, no, this is these guys are the enemy. These are the guys that are trying to expose you for what you're not. You're just trying to do what you're doing. That's why I wanted to have you in here, man. It's a tough. It was a tough time to be a reporter. I, I say it was because I'm hoping, you know, the the clouds are breaking and the sun's starting to break through. But it doesn't sound like it was an easy time during the pandemic. The pandemic forces to do a lot of things. The pandemic forces to sit down and pay attention to what's really going on. You know, there was not a lot of like puppy dogs and ice cream stories. You know, usually people's outlets are sports. It's and, and other things, but sports wasn't at the full capacity that we're used to. So it was kind of a distant thought for most. Um, and I always use the example of my wife. My wife has always been, you know, um, consistently not involved in, in the news and what goes on. She's like, ah, oh, too much negative things go on. I'm just trying to stay positive, blah, blah, blah. To the point where she was drawn in and it's like, whoa, what is really going on? Am I missing all of these things? What is what, what? She became more involved. Enter somebody who is in the smack dab eye of the storm like yourself, Andrew, where your job consists of going out and talking to not to the most upright citizens that we have in our community and kind of like not giving them, well, actually giving them a platform to kind of shed some light on what they're doing. And then at the same time going against what they're doing and kind of like shitting on it, but not really like, uh, it's a tricky position you're in, man. I almost feel like journalists dance a fucking very crazy little dance. You guys are walking a, a tightrope. You want to make sure you don't piss off anybody. You want to make sure you're bringing the truth to the table, but somebody's ultimately going to get pissed. Right, right. And that's that, that's funny when you said that. It's like if I'm not pissing anybody off, you're failing. The stories are right. Like <laughs> I I don't want to do those kind of st- stories. You know, like I, I mean, I you don't do, want to review beers anymore at City Beat, bro. You're, you're past that now. <laughs> you know, I do miss writing about beer, and we can we can chat about that because you know it's. I still um, follow the industry, and, and there's a lot of good reporting on the industry going on in San Diego. But, um, yeah, you know, I, you know, you asked me when we started, like, what does it take to, to want to be uh, a reporter? Or to What are the boxes I have to check? Me, Steve Garcia, I want to like, be a reporter. What me, do I have to do? To me, it comes back to, like, um, like, like, if you listen to, like, no effects, war and errorism, right? Like, like just that attitude... Like, it, like to me, it's like a punk rock job, you know. Like it is. Like you're you're going against authority, you're 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 speaking truth to power, yeah. and so like that whole kind of anti-authority ethos and like mindset is kind of what I, like I found in journalism an outlet for that kind of proclivity of like being like you know wearing t-shirts of the anarchy. Well put, hell yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that, that's really um. It, what it kind of comes down to for me, like uh, my outlook on, on reporting. You got to be a little fearless. You, you got to be, you have to have integrity. I mean, I'm pretty sh- I know for a fact, I know reporters who don't always tell the tale the way it needs to be told. Like I've been there and I've watched them and I'm like, oh, and then I actually see the way it comes out on the other side on TV or whatever. I'm like, Ooh, that's not what happened. And like that, that's not the way this story was told, but okay. There's a specific spin to it. There's a local broadcast station that's notorious for doing that, bro. And it's like, it's just weird. But when you're doing it the right way, like like you're doing it, it's like you, you're putting your stake in the sand. You know, like, this is the truth. I saw this. This is what's coming out. And that's, I feel like that's where the, the punk rock mentality, like you, you're alluding to, is it's like, I'm not going to be bought off or I'm not going to be swayed in, in, in one way, you know? And, and it's like, this is what I observed. Based on what you're saying, I can vouch for what I'm writing. That's a, that's a wrap, you know? 
yeah, yeah, and and you know you do want to check the boxes in reporting. You know, you you get comments from people involved, and you 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 know let them have a point of view in the story. You give them a voice in the story, but sometimes their voice needs a little context. When I interviewed um, Justin Haskins, who is the leader of uh, Defendees County, I wanted you to bring that up. I don't want to bring up his name. I was going to wait till you did it. I was like, all right, <laughs> you know, when I talked to him, you know, he's very, you know, he's friendly. He's easy to talk to. And he, he tells me, you know, like we try to moderate this group, you know, we don't allow racism. We don't allow racist comments. You know, we, you know, we really just want to support the community. We want to lift the community and, and, and that's fine. And, and I, I put his, his perspective in the story, but at the same time, I have to tell you that members of this group, you know, showed up and harassed demonstrators. There was a, a, a altercations, you know, there's been assaults, you know, this is part of the story. It might not be the part that he wants, he wants to, to highlight, tell, yeah. but it's you, happening. You have to take the, the good with the bad. And yeah, they, they went and like rescued animals during a fire, which they, they like to pump up on their social channels. What they did before they lost them. Um, and they've done, you know, birthday caravans and they, they did a daddy daughter dance, which, you know, maybe has its own issues, but you know, they're trying to do community stuff. And, and so I get, I, I got critique that, you know, I'm not covering, you know, the good stuff they do, but the good stuff they do isn't news. What's news is when you're, you know, when you're writing down license plates of protesters or showing up with, with paper covering your license plate so that they it overshadows the daddy daughter dance when you're doing shit like that. Yeah. Bro. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it's just kind of, kind of a uh, part of it, you know, you, there's context to everything and, you know, he is not a, a fan of me. Um, I've seen. I follow you on Twitter, bro. <laughs> I, I I know what goes on on Twitter. I mean, for those of you guys that aren't on Twitter, man, honestly, if you want news direct from the source and you want that shit like real time, go on Twitter. Follow follow your whatever news source you, you follow. Um, make sure if you're, if you're local, we're actually wherever you're local too, follow your local beat writers. Follow those guys. Those are the guys that give you the nuggets, the golden nuggets. I followed Andrew a long time ago when he first started his journey from like a, a craft beer reviewer writer to breaking into the San Diego Union Tribune as, as an intern to becoming what he is now. And, and and I like I legitimately like before I even started the podcast would follow everything you wrote. I'm like, ooh, yeah. Like I, I actually know this guy. I know what he's about and it's awesome to write, read everything that you're writing, everything you put out, and just watching the whole diatribe of you going back and forth with Defendi's County and and, and with uh, oh, it, it escapes me right now the uh, representative that was running for that district where he was on a a video or on a uh, chat with with Justin Haskins. Uh, that was uh, the Democrat and the Republican. Yeah, both, um, not Issa, not Issa, no, no. Issa, Amar Kambanjar. Yes. <laughs> That was intense, man. Those are back and forths that I feel like people, like if they had an opportunity to like redo or not do, they would probably been like, Ooh, this might not be the best idea. It, it, it's revealing. And, and, you know, and, you know, uh, props to, to, uh, Amar, Kevin Dejar for even engaging with people on Twitter. He doesn't have to do that. It's a dangerous game to play. Um, and he was, he was, he was criticized by people on the left for, for, for doing that. And, um, you know, he, right or wrong, you know, he did, you know, face these critics, you know, face to face on Twitter. I'm using air quotes. Um, but, you know, he, he did, 
you know, talk with them. You know, it might not be enough to salve them. They no. feel like he burned them. Yeah. But um, as it, a politician, those are the things you do, though. You know, at least at least he he faced up and and had something to say to them. Um, you know. wasn't enough. <laughs> uh, and, and maybe not, but wasn't enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just cracked a beer open. Let's lighten the mood a little bit before okay. we jump into more controversy. I love talking. I love talking controversy, bro. It's <laughs> it's the one thing that just like primes my pump. I like conspiracy theories. I wanted uh, to talk about um, my new favorite Premier League team, Sheffield United. Um, stop right there, asshole! Stop right there. Why do you got? Why do you got to do shit like that? Why do you got to do shit like that? Lighten things up. Lighten things up. When the relegate, the soon to be relegated team in the Premier League beats the fucking machine that is my squad, Manchester United, it hurt, bro. That was a bad loss. No, the best part was there's when, no best part. The best Andrew. part was when City beat them in the next game. Oh man! Because I'm sure I Manchester's don't have to tell blue. you that City is actually on the top of the table oh, right man. now. You can pipe down right Right now. above uh, United. So. Wait, so are you a City fan? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no wonder you dickhead. No wonder this is coming. <laughs> oh, you fucking. Yes. That, that, that this is, is my... gotcha. Gotcha reporting. What is it? Gotcha journalism. <laughs> oh, my bad. My bad. Yeah, that's my, my favorite sovereign-owned uh, football team. Oh, <laughs> you're a dick, bro. Um, it, it has not been a good week, you know? And, and that's odd because, or weird because my kid, my, my middle child, my favorite. He was rocking his United beanie and his United jersey today. Oh, no. And I'm like, oh, man, it hurt a little more because I don't think he watched the match even on Sunday over against Arsenal, which to me should have been three points in the bag. But Sheffield United should have been fucking three points in the bag. Those are six <laughs> points we left on the table, man. Well, five because we le- we took one with Arsenal. And I we would have been I don't been get to watch table. all the games, but sometimes I, I boot up my, uh, my stream on my laptop and um, – when I saw the score of that one in like the seventy fifth minute, I had to <sighs> tune in for the for the coup de gras. The- Bro, and I don't think a lot of people who don't follow EPL understand the fucking gravity of that loss, man. Imagine, I can't. There's no really, there's no comparison right now. But it, just imagine a hundred and eighty five pound soaking wet guy fighting Mike Tyson and just knocking Mike Tyson out. That's just that's that that shit's just not likely. It, it's not a common factor. But I always tell my people who who li- who actually watch EPL, it's like, bro, these are the teams that United fucking struggles with. I wouldn't be surprised if if they lost or if they drew a draw on these guys. Because oh man, when last place faced first place, and you see the odds, I've, I gone back into like online gambling and then just with like a little bookie and stuff. The line for Sheffield United versus United, bro, was plus four eighty five. Meaning for every $100 you bet, you get 485 back. <laughs> if you bet on Manchester United, it was like minus 380 I think. So you had to bet $380 just to get $100 back. <laughs> A smart man would have gone all in with Sheffield United just for shits and giggles. Somebody in Sheffield right now is sitting pretty because you know they're diehard Sheffield fans. And they said, fuck it, we're going to be relegated. Let's put it all in. Somebody put in $100. Betting on them every game. Yes. Like- well, like Leicester City. I don't know if you follow EPL to that extent, but Leicester City a few years back was a Cinderella story. It was like mm-hmm. le- legitimately David and Goliath, where in this case, David was a small town club who w- worked their way up the ranks and took the whole league. Yeah, they took I the title. Third or fourth? Right yeah, now? I mean, they're, they're still doing their thing they're right now. Sh- it, I mean, they could be in Champions League. Unless, every, every, hey, watch unless, your mouth, bro. Unless watch your Chelsea mouth. figures it out. Bro. Chelsea won't figure it out. <laughs> That's a one sure thing I know <laughs> if Chelsea won't figure it out. Oh, you asshole. You detracted me completely. Let's talk <laughs> about beer for a okay, quick. Okay, okay. Let's talk about beer. Um, I brought a six pack, a little mix pack. I was at the brewery earlier today, and um, first off, the breweries are open again. Thank God, man. I mean, I feel like a lot of my 
my homies and a lot of the people in, in the industry, like colleagues are, they were very close to the end of that, uh, of that little well, the financial well. I think it, they were digging and, and not much was coming back up. So it was a, the perfect time for everything to open up and happen for us again. That being said, the brewery is open. People, more of the, our homies from other breweries are coming in. I have reps that come in daily and, and drop off beer and share stories and la, 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 complain about shit. So I brought you a little mixed six-pack that we can delve into because tell me a little bit about your fucking craft beer background. Well, um, you know, I started as a drinker only. Um, as I think- As we all did. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, I got into craft beer like- like seriously, probably in like 2007 ish. Um, as soon as stone started distributing, I was living in Corpus Christi, Texas. And, um, as soon as, uh, stone showed up at HEB. So you got it in 2007 in, in Texas, uh, 2007, 2008, I, I think is when I started. Uh, so it took them 10 years to start distributing down to your neck of the woods. Cause they were established in 1997 and they mm-hmm. just had their 25th year anniversary. Jesus Christ, wow. man. That's crazy. Right. Right. Oh, so, it's crazy to read their story. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, in, you know, IPA was the gateway, you know, to a lot of other things. And, um, you know, whenever it came down in 2009 to to pick orders, um, I was still in the Navy. Um, because of some, uh, my, some uh, health considerations for my son, you know, there's only certain places that I could go in the Navy. Um, and it was going to be kind of like a, where we were in the exceptional family member program. So, which meant that they weren't going to transfer me again. Um, I, I could go to Washington, uh, state. I could come to San Diego. I could go to Norfolk, Virginia, or I could go to Jacksonville, Florida. And, um, they basically said, you know, you can pick three of those four are awesome. You know, you, know, you can pick one of these places and that was going to be it. And like, I was like, well, I mean, this is like a, a no brainer, you know, I'm, I was going to say, how long did it take you to pull the trigger on that, bro? I mean, I was just like, and, and the thing was, is like, man, all the great breweries in San Diego. Like, So you're telling me Jacksonville wasn't a quick decision for you. <laughs> you know, no, I, I, I wanted to come in to the home of, uh, uh, of stone beer and ale Smith and green flash. The only breweries I knew about that were distributing to Texas at the time. Like, nice. um, that was uh, the major deciding factor for me beer. coming out here. So then you came out here, you, you obviously, you went through your military career, you finished your military career, you went back to Southwestern College, you started writing in the sun. From there on out, how did you jump on board with City Beat to start writing about craft beer? Well, um, I was, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do uh, when I was at Southwestern. Um, I was trying to, you know, kind of going through that thing. Uh, I think a lot of veterans have this. When you first get out of the military, you kind of... Um, you know, you uh, the military is such a, a community and like an insular community. And once I was out, like I was out, like I didn't just lose like my job, but like all of my friends, you know, they would transferring to other ships or you know moving to other cities, and um, it, it's it's really tough. And I think a lot of veterans kind of struggle with this. I know, I know, I did. Do you keep in touch with a lot of the guys that you were you were close to in the military? Yeah, I'm still friends with, with lots of folks. Um, but like you said, they're probably scattered all over the country. Some are scattered, some are here, some are still in, some are out. How many dudes stay in San Diego after they're 10 years over in the military? I got to assume it's going to be a high percentage, man. I don't know the ex- I don't know what the percentage is, um, but I mean, a, a lot of people do. It's That's a big awesome. part of the, the community here. And there's there's jobs for, for veterans here if, if you want to be in the, the tech field or 
defense industry, you know, there's, there's jobs. Um, so it's, it's not a bad place to, to, to leave, you know, either separating or, or retiring. Um, but you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do at, at Southwestern. I, I started taking like a, took a creative writing class and, and there was a, a guy in, in class, uh, his name's Gabriel Sandoval. He, he writes for a uh, city paper in New York now. Uh, but, um, he was on staff at the sun at the time. And like we were writing, like, like some, we did stories every week and I wrote some thing and, and he was, you know, we trade him and we'd get feedback and he was like, Hey, you know, decent enough writer. You should come join the paper. And I was like, okay, uh, uh okay, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. And, um, was that a goal? Did you join that creative writing class with the, uh, the final goal being you to jump on the, uh, the college paper or no, not no, at okay. all. I didn't even know that Southwestern had a paper. Not really. No. <laughs> um, I, I probably knew, but I, it wasn't anything that I was conscious of, you know, like I wasn't like seeking it out or, or reading it, um, at the time. But, um, it was around this time when I was in this class and, um, towards the end of that semester when, um, uh, a former beer writer at city beat Ian Cheeseman, um, posted in San Diego beer friends that he was leaving city beat and they were going to need a new beer writer and to, to message him and he would give you the editor's email. So I was like, well, maybe worth a shot. I messaged Ian. He gave me the editor's email. I emailed the editor and sent like a writing sample. And I mean, it was probably terrible, but, uh, you know, he sent me to go and, write a kind of a trial story to see uh uh what i could do um i ended up going this was shortly after novo brazil opened so i went out to novo and i'm um, interviewed there there's a whole fucking story in itself andrew so i went out to novo and <laughs> um i interviewed the general manager at the time and edward no maurice it was maurice yeah yeah maurice. good dude um i actually like him he's a character um he 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 might have showed his whole ass in the beer friends one time, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, very opinionated that dude, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, he wasn't happy with us uh, another beer writer's review of uh, of Novo, but you know, I was just you know, is that a thing? Do beer do brewery owners do breweries get butthurt when they get a bad review? Uh, it depends, I think, on the quality of the review. And the accuracy of the review, if if you do something, if you write something that, like I, I've written some stuff for City Beat where I screwed up, like I didn't do enough research or I didn't contact somebody at the brewery for their statement. You know, this is very early on. I'm still kind of learning. And um, the reaction I got from those people at those establishments was warranted. The critique they gave me was completely warranted, you know, like... Okay, yeah, you know, you know, do what we can, but um, I don't think it was ever so much as like we had to retract or, or do a correction. But you know, it's p- opinion based mostly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, like I'm having a bad beer right now. I will never say who made it. <laughs> I will never say where it came from. But I am having a bad beer right now. <laughs> it has a lot of uh, caramelly taste, a lot of the uh, butterscotchy off flavors. But yeah, you know, it's a fucking beer. A bad beer is a good beer. Yeah. On any day, you know? It's like yeah. there's no such thing as a bad day on the golf course. There's no such thing as real bad beer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think when you talk about uh, 
the uh, the thing with Novo, they got a bad review from a very good reviewer, and it was warranted. I know who it was. Oh yeah. Does are his initials B H? It was it was Brendan Hernandez. There it is. Yeah. Damn, look at you, quick to out people, man. <laughs> oh, he, he, he put a, it up. Yeah. I mean, if you're starting out writing beer or reviewing beer, and you don't know what the hell you're doing, who are you going to read? You're going to read Brendan Hernandez because what's more stressful, bro? Writing writing to extremists, writing about extremists, writing about breweries. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's very it's very stressful, especially like for me. Um, somebody who was not in the industry and had no real formal training, right? Like to me, when I drank a beer, like if it gave me a buzz, I'm like, it's a pretty good beer. Mission accomplished. (laughs) (laughs) So I I didn't have, you know, the, I didn't have the vocabulary or the palate or the knowledge to like effectively really critique a beer. And so it it wasn't um, fairly early on when I was at City Beat, you know, I stopped trying to, be a reviewer and and critique beard i've moved more to a journalistic uh highlighting outlook on on it because you know i I just you know it was it would have been fraudulent for me to like critique a a beer based on its its bitterness or how hoppy it is or well how do you taste beer now do you (laughs) how do you gauge what is a good beer for you now because i know as as somebody who reviews beers once upon a time you guys probably drink it in a very different way than you did when you were in south texas trying that uh arrogant bastard ale for the first time you're like oh shit this is burning my tongue this is heavy (laughs) to a force like oh the effervescence of this beer is next level you know i think now the things that jump out to me um are the the little things like um certain like uh like certain breweries, I just know that whatever I get from them is going to be good. Like I'm gonna like whatever. There's a lot of breweries that check that box right now in San right. Diego, which is awesome. So the, it's kind of easy. Um, and then every now and then, you know, my my wife is in the industry, and sometimes she'll get beer sent to the house that's, you know, from different breweries across the country, and like, oh, this is a really good seller right now, and I'll drink it, and I'm like. This, uh, this tastes old. Like <laughs> breaking news, let us pull back the curtain. There's a lot of hype with craft beers, so sometimes people are very excited to have a beer, and when you have that beer, it's going to be nowhere near what you put that beer on a pedestal for. Mm-hmm. You know, I personally, I, I know a lot of beers that I'm like, I was super excited to have once upon a time. Then I had them, and I was like, damn, really? That's what I was hype about. I was like, super excited to have this beer, and now. Dream ruined. Yeah, there's there's one that um, was recently released online um, that caused a big stink. That I think the first time I had it, plenty of the younger. You know, it it's it's a good beer. You don't, you don't even have to fucking say it. It's I mean, a, it's one of those beers like you just oh, plenty of the younger, plenty of the PTY. It's 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 a good beer, but like it's a bucket list beer. I, I've had you know triple IPAs from two dozen breweries in San Diego that I mean wowed me in a way that younger didn't the once first upon time a time our brewery entered some sort of contest i think here in uh san diego the, the hamilton's triple ipa contest oh my gosh yes right i think it was that <laughs> we put our triple ipa in there and it and it ranked really well you know so we've been making it ever since tres animales which will be available early march for you guys but yeah it's like it just goes to show man i mean it, hype is hype and 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 Something that's legit will always rise to the top. There's a lot of great beers in San Diego. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of great beers around the country. You know, it's like basically drink what you like, 
drink it quick. There's no need to fucking save it and, and save it for a special occasion. Just drink it, drink it and enjoy it, man. I think people put too much stock into the hype aspect of beer. You know, oh, this brewery, bro. They're located in South Texas behind a shed and they pump out the best beers, but they only release them in October, November, and December of their fourth quarter seasonal beers. <laughs> you got to get your hands yeah, on them. That's part of the, the craft beer community that I absolutely don't miss. And yeah, I've, pass. I've, I've, <laughs> I've completely disengaged with it, except for like uh, the don't do drink beers Instagram guy. Like, <laughs> Who's that? I don't, what? Al- Alex Kidd, uh, don't drink beers. He's got like a whole like satire oh like, nice i'll follow media. that yeah it's pretty funny um but yeah so to me it's like uh you know there's a handful of local breweries that you know i kind of trust <laughs> um and you know that's where i you know get my my beer you know if you know i think i think freshness freshness and proximity to your house or like to yeah. me those are like the some of the key factors in choosing where to spend my money like Okay, you know, that's you know, I, I'm not, I don't, you know, buy into the hype. I'm not driving clear across San Diego County to as you shouldn't, man. Yeah. Let's be real. I mean, San Diego has over 150 fucking breweries. Mm-hmm. There's going to be one next to you. For lucky for you, man, you're not overly saturated in your neighborhood. I mean, you're here in Chula Vista with us. What do we have? We have one, two, three. I think we have four breweries. We have uh, Nova Brazil, Chula Vista Brewery, ourselves, and Bay Bridge, and that's a wrap. You know, um, for all of the uh, South Bay uprising outrage and everything, I mean, it, it kind of settled down and it just leveled off at four breweries. I'm probably missing one, but I'm not too sure. You know, I and I don't know what, what's all behind that. I've heard so many rumors about breweries looking to expand into like East Lake and, and you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, the infrastructure is there. There's the, the big. There's a lot know, out there. The rent is is pretty high it's ridiculous and, and it's ridiculous you know and the, the homies at chula vista brewery are expanding out there they're taking over the old labella spot right next to lolita's in the uh, design center in east lake um when everything is firing on no, all cylinders i remember uh now they're called bay bridge but they used to be there east lake brew house long, east long lake time brew house. ago if you go to bay bridge the equipment some of the equipment that they use in bay bridge originated in east lake brew house you know, I was a stone's throw away. I used to walk. We could walk down there. We would walk to uh, um, East Lake Tavern to catch a UFC match, bro. We'd watch mm-hmm. a fight, catch, get a couple cocktails, and then go to East Lake Brewhouse and have the uh, Otay Lakes Oatmeal Stout or the, uh, what was the other fucking beer that I had that was horrible? Um, the fucking Proctor Valley Monster IPA or some shit, you know? Like, it's something so regional. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? But it, oh, it's yeah. like that. We- I think they still make those ruse if you ever go... Uh- I think they still have them. It's probably the same recipe. <laughs> so, I mean, Eastlake is in dire need of beer because I feel like the only guys out there right now, well, the only guys out there right now are Novo and they're killing it. And Let me tell you, the best uh, place to get beer in Eastlake is is Barron's. <laughs> oh, you did get Wait, there's a Barron's in Eastlake? Yeah. Where? Otay Ranch Mall. Fuck Otay Ranch Mall, bro. All right. Well, Three Punk Hills is located in uh, Sprouts. <laughs> if you need to get our beer, you could buy it at Sprouts out in these. <laughs> I think they got, do they? No, maybe they don't. I don't want to say they do if they don't have it. What's that? Three Punk. Where? They have Novo. At Barron's? Oh, yeah, we haven't gone to Barron's yet. I mean, it's been such a crazy time that I'm an asshole. Like, I really like to be very selective. You know, they store a lot of their beer on the shelves at room temperature. 
Yeah. It's like, oh, why that's you, one thing what, I heard. Yeah. You, what are you trying to be like? Trader Joe's trying to kill all these beers. And then ultimately somebody will go home, taste and be like, oh, this beer is shit. And it's like, it wasn't if it was stored properly. <laughs> I mean, there's still, there's still like fresh hop, wet hop beers on the shelf. I don't, I don't, right I don't doubt it, but they have a great selection, man. You know, they have a great they have selection. A great selection of six month old beers. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. It's good to talk to somebody who actually has like background in beer and shit. <laughs> um, I don't even know if you're going to want to talk about that, but once upon a time you talked about a brewery that you had some information on and you were going on with them and you never released the story. Is that something you're going to take with you to the grave? Um, did this specific brewery pay you to not say shit? Were you, there's some sort of agreement where you won't like release information? Oh, no, no, no. Um, it was just something that I was never able to properly and fairly report out. Um, there were certainly um, public records. And don't fucking, it, I don't want you to jump into some shit that you don't really want to talk about. No, no, this is, it's a, it's a fair question about like, um, why uh, a story never happened, right? Sometimes this happens, right? There is a legitimate news event. Maybe somebody files a lawsuit. Yeah. Um, maybe that lawsuit is filled with abhorrent details, um, and allegations that are, you know, seemingly, you know, juicy and prime for, um, a, a news story, but you know, for one reason or another, um, we never quite connected all the dots. Reached the threshold to where um, it's something that we're comfortable reporting on, and um, for me, that was uh, a, a job change um, at the time when I was. I remember when you were digging through that information, when you were getting ready, where you're putting it all together and getting ready to release it. I remember I reached out to you at that time, and you were like, "There could be something coming out about this brewery," and la la la. And then, like, talk to you a little bit later. You're like, "Oh, I'm not at City Beat anymore, so I'm just leaving that shit alone." Yeah, um, I was it, initially. My reporting was when I was interning at Voice of San Diego. Um, it was after I, I, I graduated from from state, um, and then, but before I could um, before I could put the story together, um, I got the job offer at the UT, um, which I. I mean, I was an intern, you know, I, I could not pass up a, a full-time opportunity. Fuck no, bro. Um, and, you know, it's it's just a different beat. Uh, I, I, and and um, unfortunately, that, that story never uh, never was told the way it, it should have been told. Um, but I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Damn. But, you know, I certainly... Real um, story at Patreon. <laughs> I certainly was not paid off um, by by the brewery and... and um, Absolutely would never accept any type of uh, any any quid pro quo to not report something. In fact, um, if anybody offered me money not to report something, that, probably highlighted even that more. offer would then be in the story. So <laughs> That's maybe, fucking awesome. Maybe don't do that. Andrew Dyer, thank you for coming in today and sharing these stories. Before I let you go, what's next? You are at the UT. You have your role set in stone. What do you want to do with it? Like, what is the ultimate goal as, as a journalist here in San Diego? Is the ultimate goal to go somewhere else? I mean, do you see yourself uprooting your family and taking it somewhere else? Do you see continuing to grow this uh, role within the UT and just kind of becoming like, oh, I am the guy who makes the mark and, and leads the, the the path with with this? What do you want to do with it? Well, you know, um, I still, you know, I've, I've been at the UT for not quite three years, Um I only graduated from San Diego State in in 
2018. Congratulations. Oh. <laughs> that was awesome. I remember you were, you were hype on that, bro. Yeah, That's yeah. a great story. Um, but, you know, I, I still look at myself and think of myself as a, as a rookie uh, in this field. I'm, I'm, I'm still learning every day. I'm still trying to get better. Um, so, uh, and, and like you said, I do have a family. Um, I have a, a 12 year old boy and, uh, you know, I, I would, it would take, uh, quite a lot to, to uproot what we've, we've got here. I've been here, um, for over 10 years now. Um, practically a native uh, i've lived uh, the house i'm living in now I've, I've never in my entire life lived in a house for this much time like by a long shot so um it's the most stable i've ever been and um have no reason or inclination to to leave um uh, the the military beat in san diego is super important to this community and it's an important topic um to report on and report on thoroughly and um yeah, I don't. I don't see a whole lot of places where I could um, have the kind of impact um, through my reporting as as I do here. So, very happy. I appreciate you coming on here, bro. Don't be surprised if I tap you on the shoulder and ask you to come back because there's always stories breaking, like a certain SEAL member that you know. There's a lot of things going on in San Diego that we we could always talk about. Yeah. And I, and I love this stuff, bro. Like I legitimately go down your timeline in Twitter. I'm like, ooh, what's going on here? Ooh, what's going on there? Ooh, who's he talking? Who's he beefing with? Oh. And every now and then you actually get to see behind the scenes of like who you're beefing with and it just shows up. I'm like, oh, all right, this is cool. Thank you for taking the time out for being here, bro. Especially during the pandemic. I understand we're, we're both family men. We have to like, you know, maintain a, a certain level of safety to, to keep our family in check. But thank you for coming out, battling the, the drizzle that actually started. Having a bad oh, and actually, you had the good beer. I had I had the bad beer. We can we can get more into soccer oh. next time. We can talk about about don't, oil and, and don't don't and tease me, bro. And, Look at city is new money, bro. I have a, I have a really good friend Matt Seaslack, <laughs> and I always fuck with him. I was like, you're a city fan, bro. You're new money. You're mumble. You're fucking mumble rap, yo. You're you're a hazy IPA. This is all new to the game. All right, I'm fucking Manchester United. Okay, through and through, Manchester is red. I support my city, my my fucking club. Through thick and thin. You know, we have 21, 21 ta- championships. And all of a sudden, you guys start coming in, backdooring. Oh, we, we won. Oh, no. It takes a little bit more than that. Are, are you suggesting there's some f- financial fair play? Uh- Shit, bro. If you if you got to ask that and giggle, you already know. Get out of here with that nonsense. And if you guys sign Leno Messi in the next couple of years, you know exactly what's going on. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be great, though? Like- he wouldn't succeed in the P- EPL. He may, maybe maybe five years ago, but not now. His height and his athleticism currently currently doesn't play in the EPL, bro. This is this is a big boy sport in the EPL. You got dudes that are six five two twenty, just throwing all that meat, all that muscle around in the box. Where does Messi make his living? In the box. You know, all of his runs lead to the box and just shoot from the box. It's very rare when you see my dude shoot something outside of the box. So I don't know, man. I don't think he can get comfortable. He can get set and released there. But there's a lot of guys in the EPL that are of his height and, and, and make it work. Well, I mean, if he's leaving Barca, he's got to go somewhere. Yeah. And I don't know I don't know where else. He's he leaving. Is. I think he's From leaving. San Diego loyal. He said he ultimately he'd like to play in the MLS. <laughs> Dude, if, if, if he, the loyal could pony up some cash, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're a little not quite MLS <laughs> at the moment. But, yeah. but they're there. 
you know, I, I like it. I like it when the greats get to the stage of their career that they that they join MLS. It's always. But then Ibra, bro, Ibra did it differently. Bro. When Slatan came to Galaxy and he took out that ad in the LA Times saying, "You're welcome." So great. That was so the best. That's he's my favorite player. He's killing it now, like, bro. He might be my favorite athlete of all time. For me, you know, because he's cocky, he's conceited, but he backs it up with talent and skill, and yeah. he's just whatever. You know, he's our age. Like, yeah, it's like pretty old. <laughs> you don't fucking like me. I don't give a fuck. You know, yeah. you know what does he say? A lion doesn't uh, bat an eye on the opinion of a fucking. I don't know what he said, but he's like basically he's like he's on a different level, and he doesn't care what the peasants think, bro. Yeah. Zlatan is is next level, and then <laughs> what did he say? As he because he took an ad out in the Tribune again when he left Galaxy, and and then he. He didn't leave Galaxy to retire, bro. He did not. He went to go play at a top flight league with a top flight team, and he's killing it. Mm-hmm. So it's like Zlatan's just a different level. Yeah, yeah. I aspire to be Zlatan. Andrew Dyer, thank you for coming in, brother. I appreciate you. I look forward to talking to you more. We're going to shit on these beers a little bit more after we're off the air, and I'm going to tell you exactly what I feel about it. Awesome. Thank you. That is a wrap for this episode of the Emo Brown, the Saddest Mexican podcast. Make sure to give us a follow on Instagram at Emo Brown. Give us a shout out at Twitter. We're on there too. And at Facebook, for those of you who still use Facebook, we're on there as well. More importantly, give us a visit at emobrown.com. That's where you can find all of our episodes, all of the merch. There's more merch coming as well as access to the Patreon club. Join in the Emo Brown Social Club. Don't be a stranger. Hop on in there. Join. Submit. Follow. We appreciate your support. Thank you very much. Big things are coming. See you